Welcome to Health Setterer's podcast. Contrary to what most would believe, the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic has not deterred students from applying to nursing schools. In fact, the number of applications for undergraduate and master's level nursing programs has increased at institutions nationwide. However, this influx of nursing students remains unsupplemented by willing clinicians with the time and energy to precept them. In the state of New York, along with most other states in the country, clinical preceptors are not monetarily incentivized or compensated for their mentorship to nursing students. Preceptors typically volunteer their time and effort. But with the ongoing pandemic applying unforeseen pressures upon healthcare systems, clinicians are shying away from precepting students. On this Health Cetera podcast, registered nurse Diana Mason host Dr. Andrea Sonenberg, a nurse practitioner and professor of graduate nursing at Pace University, for a conversation about how the state of New York can help the next generation of nurses. With legislative efforts such as the Clinical Preceptor Tax Credit Act to compensate preceptors, New York can encourage clinicians to mentor nursing students. This podcast first aired on Health Cetera in the Catskills on WIOX Radio on May 31st, 2022. So during the first COVID surge, nurses were applauded as heroes, you know, and later verbally and physically abused by patients and community members who viewed COVID as a hoax and vaccines as evil. And in fact, I, I mentioned at the outset of the program, today's New York Times has a very powerful opinion video that I encourage everyone to watch. It's about six minutes long. It's very powerful with nurses speaking about exactly what they're dealing with, not with COVID necessarily, but with the healthcare organizations for whom they work. The over, but during COVID, it's been even worse because the overwhelming surges of seriously ill patients and going from death to death has taken its toll on so many nurses. They've been retiring early. They've been leaving hospitals and even the profession. This makes healthcare unsafe, not just for people with COVID, but for everyone who needs care and not just in hospitals. So, so there is this attention that's being paid now to, to how do we get more nurses. There's this severe shortage, and schools of nursing are working hard to fill the need. But there are significant barriers that get in the way, here, including here in New York. And here to talk with us about this situation and a bill in the New York State Legislature that could help is Dr. Andrea Sonenberg, a certified nurse midwife and nurse practitioner and a professor of graduate nursing at the Pace University College of Health Professions. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me today on Health Center in the Catskills. Thank you, Diana, for inviting me to speak about this very critical issue. So, so tell us a little bit about what you're hearing from students, are they saying, I'm done? Are they saying, I'm taking a break? I'm hearing from some co uh, colleagues in nursing education that some students are saying, I just need a break from it all. What, 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 are, what are you hearing? Well, you know, I, as you said, I teach graduate nursing. So all of my students are already working. They're at the front lines. Uh, we spent a good, a good portion of each class early in the pandemic really debriefing their experience 
And while they were challenged and grief-stricken and stressed and all of that, um, I haven't heard anyone say they want to leave. In fact, well, those students that are pursuing their master's degree to become family nurse practitioners, which are our master's students, um, are really, really looking forward to taking on the advanced practice role and shoring up the primary care workforce um, mm. in conjunction Good. with others. Um, and those students who already have their master's and are pursuing their doctoral degrees are looking forward to pursuing roles in leadership research and or education. So I really haven't heard of anyone leaving the profession. Mm. They're shifting their foci. Um, in fact, I've, I've heard from a couple of my faculty colleagues actually planning to return to clinical settings. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's a very, very interesting, interesting uh, dynamic going on. It's one that's a, a bit surprising, but when you hear the passion in people's voices when they debrief, um, people can't get that up very easily. So what are you seeing in terms of enrollments? Are they, I've heard from other schools that their enrollments are actually, or their applications are, are actually up. Yes, unexpectedly. We, we, too, received a higher number of applications for our undergraduate and master's programs um, than we have in years past. It was surprising to many of us because we thought, even feared, that the COVID-19 pandemic would scare many away from nursing, yes. from what people were seeing in the media, especially, you know, the photos and the videos. Um, putting a, a face and a picture to things can make it even more dramatic. But in fact, there seems to have been an increased draw for some to go into this helping profession. Um, perhaps the coverage of nursing and healthcare heroes, as you called them earlier, in the media fueled a passion for caring. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, applications to our doctoral programs did not fare as well, though, um, possibly because the prospect of pursuing doctoral studies while in leadership positions you know, at the front lines was daunting during a pandemic. So yes. that, that was a bit more challenging this year. So what most people probably don't realize is that schools of nursing, most schools of nursing, their, their capacity to enroll students is somewhat limited, um, that there are a number of factors that get in the way of, of you just taking all qualified candidates. And, and I should point out that most schools of nursing are getting uh, have been getting for for a while now highly qualified candidates and they cannot take them all because of their capacity issues. So tell us about what a few of those challenges are. Yeah, um, that's true. And there are a couple of obstacles that stand in the way of colleges and universities accepting larger incoming cohorts to the healthcare professional programs. One is a faculty shortage, which is an entirely separate hindrance that needs to be addressed <laughs> at another time. But another primary barrier is to, to admitting more students each year is that there's a limited training. There are limited training sites at which students gain the requisite hours for clinical education that is required for graduation and also for eligibility for licensure by the New York State Education Department. 
So, so there are clinical experiences. I actually saw on Twitter the other day somebody who was looking for an RN program. I think they were already an RN and they were looking for a bachelor's degree and they didn't want any clinicals. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but you cannot become a nurse without clinical experiences. Talk about most people probably have no clue about what those clinical experiences look like and what they're about. Right. Well, for for that person that you're speaking about, it, it sounds like she already has or he already has an, an RN um, license. In yes. that case, uh, most programs, many programs are solely online and you do not need further clinical education. But that's an aside. Um, but to answer your subsequent question, um, well, without the clinical education hours, students will not receive the hands-on training in applying the critical thinking and clinical skills that they need to deduct, excuse me, to develop um, caring for patients at the bedside or to deliver primary care in the community setting. Now, there's a whole other conversation we could have about stimulation education, but that, again, is another conversation. We're just talking about the clinical hours that are required in, in settings outside of uh, classrooms. Um, so it is challenging to find enough sites, um, and one of the main reasons is is that health professionals who could mentor, who, who are experts, who would mentor and precept the students in these settings, they have to do it while they're delivering care to their own patients. Mm-hmm. So I can speak from experience as a nurse midwife and a nurse practitioner for over 30 years, um, it's an awesome responsibility to mentor a student while upholding the standards and quality of care that you have to um, provide your patients. Um, sometimes I, I would have 35 patients in a day, mm-hmm. and I would still be, you know, needing to mentor to to um, to demonstrate, and then have a student repeat demonstrate with patients' consent. You know, it it adds a lot of time. So. And unless a, a provider is hired as a clinical instructor, she or he usually doesn't receive any remuneration for providing this critical mentorship to students. So preceptors in those cases volunteer solely out of a sense of professional and moral duty. And more and more, we've been hearing that preceptors privately are charging to fulfill this role. So who's going to pay for that? The cost ultimately, even if universities and colleges do pay for it, ultimately that trickles down to the student's tuition bill. And so that becomes a whole other barrier to increasing numbers of students at colleges and universities. So even even with that, and we'll, we'll get more into that in terms of what this bill will do, um, it, it's always been clear to me that there need to be good relationships between clinical settings and academia and and that you can't just take that for granted uh that you know during the, the beginning of covid hospitals shut down they wouldn't take students one they didn't have adequate ppe mm-hmm. they weren't going to give the ppe right. to students students couldn't be there right. without the ppe and the staff mm-hmm. were totally overwhelmed as it was um yeah yeah so so how do you why are organizations, why are these healthcare organizations, hospitals, home care agencies, health centers, what's in it for them to do this, even, even if we put the remuneration aside? Well, what is there and what could be there may be two different things, and mm. I think that's what you're talking about, right? A good partnership is one that's symbiotic. Mm-hmm. Um, each, each in a relationship has to gain something from it. 
and in a lot of settings, really the preceptor does not. Um, if a preceptor is working for an institution that can develop one of these structured relationships, a community partnership with a school of nursing or other healthcare provider, um, they, for example, if they mentor a student, maybe then they can receive something in return either through professional continuing education that's organized through a college or university or maybe the ability to take courses outside their area of expertise for whether it's pleasure or developing another skill. Um, there could be many models of exchange of credits or work between partners, for example, outside the immediate health sphere. Um, for example, technology or marketing expertise that maybe a college or university could provide a preceptor or a preceptor's site or institution. Um, or perhaps something I tried to do during the pandemic, and I admit was not too successful at, was to sort of donate uh, volunteerism of the faculty and students as a set. For exam, mm. example, doing a full-on vaccination program for yes. the community, yes. right? Yep. Or possibly doing the, the um, I'm sorry, the testing, helping yes. with the testing. We did a little bit of that at my site. Yes. Um, but, but really, those are conversations and, and programs that need to be developed between the partners. You yes. know, who, who, what, what are the needs and how can we fill them? So... For, for and it's not just nursing that that needs these clinical no. placements. Physicians get them, mm -hmm. but they get graduate medical right. education monies to do that. And social workers in certain settings, yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And social workers need clinical placements, et cetera. Respiratory mm -hmm. therapists, et cetera. So you've been um, advocating for a bill in the, that's in front of the New York State Legislature that would pay mm -hmm. for clinical pre preceptors. Tell us about this bill. Okay, well, um, the legislation is the Clinical Preceptor Tax Credit Act. Um, I'll give you the numbers in case anyone's interested. It's in Senate 4229, sponsored by Stavisky, and Assembly, Assembly Bill 285, sponsored by Gun, Assembly um, Person Gunther. And it proposes to amend the New York State tax law to establish a personal income tax credit to thousands of community-based health professionals who would provide the required clinical training of their respective health students. So the preceptor would receive $1,000 per student, which we estimated in the early, you know, when we were developing the bill to be about, it could be 100 to 150 hours, say, uh, per, per course, per student. Um, and we we proposed that they would receive $1,000 per student, but that we would cap that uh, for a certain number of students for each preceptor so that nobody wouldn't be incentivized just to keep on taking more students because that could mm. ultimately jeopardize quality and safety. So we really, really wanted to uh, safeguard against that, you know, that potential. Um, and then finally, the legislation actually caps at a total statewide number of credits so that it would be $3 million. Uh, and there's a three-year sunset clause for evaluation and potential reauthorization. So $3 million is a drop in the bucket compared to the state's budget and to the need that this would fill. Is that right? That's, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's the status uh, yeah. of the bill? Well, it was first introduced 
Bonn about 2017, um, and I have to say, most of the Assembly and Senate members that we have lobbied are fully on board. I mean, everyone is pro-health. <laughs> there really isn't anything you can argue against that aspect of the bill. In 2018, it actually made it into the one-house budget of both the Assembly and the Senate, and yet it still didn't pass. Um, currently, it is uh, sitting in the Senate Budget and Re Revenue Committee, where last year it passed unanimously. Um, on January 5th, it was just referred to the Assembly's Ways and Means Committee. Uh, my team and I are just beginning to start to strategize for this next you know, session of lobbying. Um, we met several times in the fall with the governor's office um, several departments of the Taxation and Budget Office. Um, but what stands mm -hmm. in way of it becoming law, I believe, is, as you said, the $3 million price tag, which, as you it's said, nothing. is not a huge portion of the state budget by any means, to invest in educating the future health workforce. And Governor Hochul just created, not just, but in, in recent months, created the SUNY Excelsior Scholarship to invest in future nursing workforce by providing tuition to eligible students in the state-funded um, uh, educational programs. But without clinical placements, those students can't enter the health education pipeline either. And that's, that's the short-sightedness of it. Um, the Clinical Preceptor Tax Credit Act invests in future health. It has long-term positive impacts, improved health care outcomes, and related long-term cost savings which are invaluable, and investing in health education results in increased access to high-quality primary care, adequate nurse staffing, as well as hospitals and the state decreasing costs due to less chronic illness and lower emergency department or ED visits, which... Uh -huh. So, so yeah. have other states done this? Yes, yes, other states have done it. We were uh, originally... When we first proposed and developed this bill, we were the second state, uh, Georgia being the first, but their bill was solely earmarked for medical education and medical educators, preceptors. Mm -hmm. um, but now six states have passed similar state, similar legislation. They've surpassed us. Wow. So it includes not just Georgia, but Maryland, Colorado, Hawaii, Kansas, for example. And there are five or six others who are currently lobbying for such legislation. But what New York's Clinical Preceptor Tax Credit uh, Act has is a unique inclusivity. It's the, it was the first state recommending preceptor tax credits to many of the health professions, not just nursing, but including all levels of nursing, registered nurses, nurse practitioners, clinical nurse specialists, and nurse midwives, and certified registered nurse anesthetists, as well as physicians, physician assistants, and specialist assistants, such as respiratory Great. therapists, et cetera. Well, um, and it would shore up the primary care workforce capacity overall for all regions of our state. Which, which is so important. Uh, we are certainly feeling that shortage here in the Catskill region. Well, Dr. Andrea Sonnenberg, a certified nurse midwife and nurse practitioner and a professor of graduate nursing at Pace University College of Health Professions, thank you so much for your advocacy on this issue and for um, coming on to Health Center in the Catskills today to talk about it. Uh, is there a way for people you want to give the name of the bill one more time? 
Sure. It's the Clinical Preceptor Tax Credit Act, and, and I'm happy to, you know, be in touch with anybody that and how would they get in touch with you? And advocating with us. Um, my email is a Sonnenberg at doc, at dot pace, sorry, at pace.edu. A, and that's usually the mm-hmm. best. Spell it out. A. A S O N E N B E R G at pace, P A C E dot edu. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for your work and for coming on to Health Center in the Catskills and have a great day. And thank you for having me. You've been listening to a podcast of HealthCetera in the Catskills. For more podcasts and discussions of important health issues and policies affecting health, go to HealthCetera's website and blog at www.healthmediapolicy.com. That's www.healthmediapolicy.com. This podcast was produced by Dr. Diana Mason and production assistant Kai Volsey.